morning, everybody. How are you? Good, me too. Uh, are you awake? Yeah? No? Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, if I'm honest, I, I have a little bit of problem with, um, with being awake. Uh, I, uh, I do. I, I, in fact, this morning, I, I'm actually titling this message, Wide Awake. Living alive and free and being uh, wide awake. Because it's an issue for me. I've got, uh, I've got small children at home, so that means that um, I spent the last several years what I call the glorious haze, and that means that we've had a glorious time with our three small children so far, but for the past seven or eight years, it's been fairly hazy, and I don't sleep that good, and I feel like I'm in a constant state of sleep deprivation. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... So in my family, this is kind of an issue. It's really interesting to watch it because I feel like I spend most of my time being half asleep. But my son Ewan is kind of the opposite of me. My little boy Ewan, he, when I go in to wake him up in the morning, he just pops right awake. It's amazing to me. I mean, it takes me a good, you know, five hours or so to get up, right? So, But he... He is just, boom, out of bed. You go in, he's got a little bunk bed, and I, I rub his back and say, hey, buddy, hey, buddy, time to get up. And he just, poof, he's up, his eyes are open, he's bright, he starts questioning me on all kinds of things immediately, usually theological in nature, sometimes having to do with my own responsibility as his father, just quizzing me generally, making sure I'm doing a good job. And then he'll jump down and he'll run into the kitchen and he'll start breakfast and screaming and yelling all the way. He's a delight. Uh, my wife, Maria, she is somewhere in between the two of us, right? She, she, uh, she's oftentimes very awake, oftentimes, uh, you know, very tired. But uh, this one evening, I remember, we went to bed and... She, I don't know, she, she likes uh, beauty, and she likes beauty products, and she likes lotions and creams and, you know, all of those things that I frankly just don't quite understand all of it, all right? But, but she puts this cream on her hand from time to time, and then she puts on uh, something over it to, I guess, protect it and keep it there all night, and usually it's a glove, but this one night she didn't have a glove. So she put on the cream, the lotion, she smeared it on, and then she put a sock over her hands. So she's going to bed like this. I'm thinking, this is so strange. So I'm sleeping, but in the middle of the night, I feel there's a little rustling over here to my side. My wife then, she gets up quickly on one elbow and leans over me, and I'm looking at her like, yeah? And she brings this sock over to my face and she performs a puppet show <laughs> spontaneously that goes something like this. And then she rolls back over and goes to sleep. I, however, spent the rest of the evening being terrified <laughs> at what was going on in my home. Of course, the next morning, she has no recollection that any of this had ever happened. 
I, however, am scarred for life. Well, this is an issue in my home. <laughs> but I think sometimes it's also an issue in the kingdom of God. It's an issue in our own lives that we don't always live fully awake to what Jesus is doing around us. As we're talking about being alive and free, today I feel like the Spirit of God wants to challenge us a little bit into being more awake, more aware, with more of an understanding of who He is and how He's operating, and maybe more importantly right now, what's available to all of us. So let's pray over this, we'll dig right in. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we ask you now to speak to us, to teach us, and to train us from your word. God, today, we want to leave here differently than the way we showed up. We want you to work deep down inside of us. We want you to change our way of thinking. We want you to minister your life to us because you are everything. So we say yes to you. Would you do something now between the words that come out of my mouth and as they go and as they penetrate into hearts, somewhere in there by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you accomplish your will and your way? I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. <clears throat> Over the course of this series, I have, I have one minor concern. It's this that if we spend all of these weeks together solely concerned about our own personal freedoms, then we might miss out on some of the bigger picture of what God really is doing. What he's doing in the people around us, what he wants to do in our families, what he wants to do in our city, what he wants to do in our nation, and really, frankly, all over the world. Now, our personal freedoms are good, and that's where it all begins. I think that's all very important, but I don't want us to solely think about those. I want us to go beyond that today and think about what he wants to do around you. So we're going to go to Matthew 6, verse 33. We've been there before, I think, on this series, but Matthew 6, verse 33, and <clears throat> you know, most of you have heard this, most of you know what it's talking about. He's Jesus is talking, this is one of his great sermons, and as he's talking, he's talking about the stuff of life and troubles and worries and things that we get concerned about in our day-to-day, -day. and he comes to verse 33, and he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Now, of course, there's a great reason why he says this. Because what you seek first will order your days and eventually order your entire life. What you seek first orders your days and therefore your life. So for you, it may be uh, something you seek first might be your career might be the most important thing to you. So as you're seeking first to further your career, everything else gets ordered according to that. So time with family may get shifted down farther than it should. And it can go on and on and on. You can see how that goes pretty quickly. 
For some of you, it may, be, uh, it may be your spouse or it may be your children. You put them first and you want that to be the very first thing in your life. And so everything else kind of orders around that and taking care of them. Now, those are important things. Those are valuable things. Those are things that we must do, but not necessarily the things that we always do first. For some of you who are maybe in college today, you may be looking for that significant other. So you're on the search for that spouse. And it may be the thing that you seek first, the thing that you are most consumed with. And so everything in your life, every day is kind of ordered to thinking about how do I look for the fellas? How do I smell? What's going on? Uh, Where am I? And just thinking about how can I find that perfect mate? Well, that's another message altogether. But for some of you who are in high school or junior high, it might be more of your own reputation. You know, my reputation, am I I living up to what my Facebook says I am? Typically, no. Facebook is always more impressive. (laughs) That's a terrible thing to say. But it can be true. Maybe for you it's not... It's not something like these that, you know, are really actually, they're good things, they're fine things. Maybe for you, it's something more severe, something more serious. Maybe for you, it's some abusive situation that you've endured. And so what you seek first is the ability to forget. What you seek first is the ability to do away with, the, the ability to cover over. And so it leads you into other things like Uh, substance abuse or alcohol or other things to try to fill up that hole, that void that you have in your heart. What you seek first orders your days and therefore your life. I spent the better part of my life with Matthew 6.33 as kind of a central Bible verse. I grew up with it all my life. It's always been very important to me. But as I was growing up, I often thought of it in terms of you better get everything right You better make sure that you're forgiven because God is coming and one day when he gets here, you're really going to get it if you don't have it all together. That's kind of the way I heard it as I was growing up, but I don't think that's what he means here. Truth is, I grew up thinking about it like, well, I guess then I need to get up in the morning, I need to pray, I need to read the Bible, I need to worship a little bit, and that's kind of what I do. I guess if I wake up at 6, by 6.03, I'm praying, and so I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. Well, maybe, and those things are actually part of seeking the kingdom of God, but I think there's so much more. I spent my younger years feeling like I was on the outside of this relationship with God and always trying to chase him down and get to him. And I think today there's an invitation for us to not live like this, but instead to realize that he's here with us right now in a very real and significant and powerful way. So let me ask you the question. Right here, right now, What do you think it means to seek first the kingdom of God? I told you how I was a little off in my thinking. What do you think when you consider that verse and you've read through that verse, what comes to mind for you? How do you interpret that? 
In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we read about John the Baptist. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. And John the Baptist comes out and he starts preaching and teaching and baptizing. And it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Of course, as you read on through this passage, Jesus shows up and John baptizes him. The Spirit of God descends like a dove on him. And then he goes from there in that place, he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and he's tempted by the devil. He goes through that and then he comes out on the other side and he enters into his earthly ministry. And as he starts ministering, he comes out with this same message. Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same message. As I said, I thought that it was, you know, as I read it, I thought, well, get everything right or you're going to be in trouble. It's kind of like that thing where, did you ever have your parents do this to you, where your mom would say to you, when your father gets home, you're really going to get it. Or even worse, you're out somewhere enjoying the day and you do something wrong and then they say to you, when we get home later tonight, you're going to get it. And you spend the whole day, it's just ruined. You're just thinking, oh, when I get home, it's going to be horrible. Oh, I can't believe this is happening. And you're just hoping and praying that they'll just forget. Meanwhile, it's been the greatest eight hours of their lives because you are the perfect little angel for those eight hours. Lo and behold, you show up at home and it wasn't good enough because <laughs> they remembered. My parents seem to always remember. And I'm actually grateful for that. To some degree. I don't, think, I don't think that's what this is. If you go down a little bit further in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 25, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. The gospel that most of us are most familiar with, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and the cross, that he came fully God and fully man, that he gave his life on the cross for us, that he died, he was buried, that he rose again three days later, that he ascended into heaven, he seated at the right hand of the Father. That gospel that we know that allows us to be free from all of our sin, it is wonderful and it is central to who we are and what we believe. But I think it's still part of a larger picture of what we understand here to be the gospel of the kingdom of God. In fact, I think this is the big message that Jesus came to declare, that the kingdom of God is here. It's why he would often start his teachings or parables or stories with the kingdom of God is like. And then he would go into a teaching and then he would continue on. 
the kingdom of God is like. It's not just the problem of sin, but he's also talking about the restoration or the making right of all things. Keep in mind that the, the gospel that we know and we are so familiar with is the gospel of the atonement. And again, it is so important. But in the time of this, uh, this passage here, not in the time of the writing, because of course by the writing, this had already happened and we knew about this good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But here, right here, as we're discussing it, he hasn't even died yet. But he's talking about this good news of the kingdom. He's preaching the larger message of that kingdom being here, being near, being at hand. And if we're going to participate in this message of the gospel of the kingdom, it's important for us to have some kind of definition, some kind of idea that we can work with this morning. Now, it's very difficult to do something like that in such a short period of time, obviously. I heard a guy uh, recently, he was talking about the kingdom of God, and he said, of course, as we discuss this, it's kind of like, like taking an elephant and trying to examine an elephant with a microscope. It's nearly impossible. You'll, you'll, you'll get little pieces. You'll kind of understand maybe a general framework as you study, but it's, you can't get the entire picture of that elephant with just that little microscope. It wasn't made to handle that. So it's kind of the scenario we find ourselves in today. But still, it's important that we take some time, just a few moments, to kind of figure out a little bit of what we're talking about. So when we talk about seeking the kingdom of God, as soon as I say it, many of us have differing thoughts on this. But the one that probably comes out the most is, is that the kingdom of God is heaven. That's what most of us just think probably automatically. That that's what it is. And that is a good, solid, strong definition. I think it's true. But again, I think it's part of a larger picture for us today. The kingdom of God is heaven. Luke 18, 29 through 30. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Eternal life, life forever with him. Heaven is where God's will is done all the time. His perfect will takes place. We know about that. We know that his perfect will doesn't take place here all the time because Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So this is a good definition, but not the full definition. So let's work with a few more verses here. The kingdom of God is power. The kingdom of God is power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is not just an ethereal idea that we come and we sit and we discuss and we think about, we process, we argue with our deep theological conversations about. It is so much more than that. It is substance. It is power. It brings change and transformation. Maybe better to simply say, he brings change and transformation. The kingdom of God is, it has power. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. Understand, when you say those things, it's not just reduced to our, what our human minds can contain of it. We're talking about the fullness of the life of God, the full power of God, the full love of God, everything that he is and has, filling up everything that is, was, and will be. <laughs> Difficult to understand, yes, but when he says peace, it's much more than, oh, I feel so good because I got a massage at the spa today. It's not reduced to what we think of as peace. I'm talking about the peace that passes all of your understanding. When life doesn't work, when things seem like they have crumbled, when you don't feel alive and free, but you feel totally bound and you are chained and your life is struggling I'm talking about the peace that passes all of your understanding. When it talks about joy, it's not just a, oh, I feel pretty good today. Got up all right, and it's been a pretty good day so far. I'm talking about the immense joy of knowing him and who he is. I think it's Dallas Willard, a great author and theologian, talks about this idea of, of joy and how God is constantly looking at the expression of all that he is. When he looks at us, he looks at the universe that he's created. It's kind of like that moment when you walk into Disneyland for the first time. And you walk in, you see the train going by, and you're a little kid, and you see the Mickey head made of flowers. They made it out of flowers. <laughs> and you walk in, you haven't even seen the park yet. The castle is still on the other side. But you walk through the gates and you go, <gasps> I'm 39 years old. I still do that every time. Or you walk to, if, you don't, if you're a Disney hater, I hate Disneyland. All the lines brings me no joy. Maybe that's you. But instead you walk to the Grand Canyon. You cannot deny the Grand Canyon. You walk up and you look and you see this expanse and you go, oh, wow. God looks at everything that he's created and he's looking at this constantly while he's looking at us and he is filled with great joy. That joy exists within the kingdom of God. It is his kingdom. Maybe righteousness. Righteousness is not just us trying to be right, trying to do something, but him making us right. Him doing what he does, restoring, redeeming, the making of all things to be right. It's much bigger than you think. I think the best definition, the one that I like the most right now is, it's just simple. The kingdom of God is where the king resides, rules, and reigns. The kingdom of God is where he resides, rules, and reigns. This kingdom has always been. It existed before anything or any one of us. The kingdom has always been. It has come through the person of Jesus, and it will come in full one day when Jesus returns. And he has been and will be the king of it the whole time into eternity. This is the kingdom of God. And if you want to participate in that kingdom, all that is required is for you to surrender to that king. I'm not talking about a physical place. I'm not talking about uh, an actual location where his kingdom sits and resides. I'm talking more about a kingship. 
the rulership, the Lord Jesus Christ being Lord of all of us and in fact being Lord of all. And that is who he is. That's what he does. And that's why Jesus could walk around when he's here on the earth. Because he is the king of all. His kingdom had come. It was here. And so as he walks around, he's able to say as the king of all, Hey, withered hand, straighten out. Hey, blind eyes, see. Hey, dead little girl, come alive. Hey, tax collectors, let's go hang out and have lunch. I want to talk to you a little bit. He can do that as the king of all. It's not a place. It's about a kingship. And he's making things right in his kingdom. He's doing it person by person. He's doing it life by life. He's doing it family by family. He's doing it community by community. And we get to participate with it as his kingdom is expressed to us and in us and then through us to other people. I'm not talking about something that, that we're just trying and striving to do. Us trying to advance the kingdom of God as I spent most of my younger years trying to do. The kingdom of God, I don't think, is something that we fulfill. I think it's something that we receive and he fulfills. The kingdom of God is something that we get and we experience and he fulfills it. He's not asking you to do something for him. He's asking you to do something from him. To allow him and his kingdom to work in and through you. And so if we're going to be those people, if we're going to live alive and free, if we're going to be able to bring that kingdom to other people around us, what are we to do? We go back to Matthew and the message that he's proclaiming. Repent. So that's what we do. We Repent. Now this word repentance is a great word, and we've been taught that it means a couple things. Most time we think, and you probably heard this, we think it's kind of simple. It's a choice that we just make. Oh, I was going this way, and now I'm going to stop going this way, and now I think I'm going to go this way. Or we think about it as a simple change of mind, kind of like we change our shirts. Uh, I was going to wear this shirt, but I'm not going to wear that, I'm going to wear this shirt instead. Or, I was going to sin, but I don't think I'm going to sin. I'm going to do something else instead. No, it's much more than this. Repentance is when we say, by his spirit, I'm going to turn away from the old life of sin and rebellion and disobedience that I was living. And the first half is my turning away. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps going into the second half, which is I'm going to turn in to him. I'm going to lean into him. I'm going to turn away from this and I'm going to press into him and who he is. These are the two pieces of repentance. I think it's a little bit more thorough, a little bit more accurate. The word as I understand it is uh, the, the original Greek word I believe is uh, metan here it goes, metanoio. I think is how you pronounce it. Metanoia, which means to think differently afterwards. To think differently afterwards. It's a change in the way that we see reality. 
It's a change in the way that we perceive the life that we're living. And this, I think, is what Jesus is calling to when he's preaching this gospel of the kingdom. When he says repent, he's not just saying to us, hey, 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 you need to ask for forgiveness, boy. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, I want you to turn away from that life. I want you to turn into me. And I want your perception of the reality that you are living in to be totally different from this day forward. Why is that? And why is this so important? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And you can't see it unless you do this. You don't recognize it unless you do this. It is at hand. At hand doesn't mean that it's coming and one day it's going to get here and if you've got all your ducks in a row, you're going to be okay. At hand is not so much a chronological phrase as it is a geographical phrase. At hand, it's not a place not an actual physical location, but right here in your hand, surrounding you all the time is his kingdom. It always has been. It came through Jesus. It will come in full one day when he returns, but it is here for you right now. Let your perceptions be changed by him so that you can start to recognize that you live in it. I think we miss this. I think we live on the outside of it. I think we stay far away from it and we tend to chase him trying to become something rather than allowing him to fill us and realizing that his kingdom is available to us and the peace and the love and the power, the joy, the righteousness, the making rightness of all of creation is available to us. It's at your hand if you'll just let him show you kingdom of God is present here and now. Jesus is saying when he's preaching this message, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying change the way that you see reality so that you can recognize and experience my kingdom right here, right now. When you understand the truth of that, we start to live differently. When we see the truth of it, our mind does get switched. Things do change for us. You can't help but alter the way that you live your life. You can't help but alter the position of your heart and the way that he wants to work in you. You can't help but alter the way that you view the people around you when you realize that his kingdom is right now available to you. So when you read Matthew 6.33 and it says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that verse becomes completely different. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything else will take care of itself. I'll end with this one idea. So we've got this, we've got a modern day parable to help us just see this a little more clearly before we go. Pastor Ross has had some incredible modern-day parables, my favorite being that the kingdom of God is like a beanie baby. <laughs> if you missed that, you need to go, was that last week? I think it was last week. You need to go back, and, go back and, and take a listen on the website. It's incredible message. But let me give you this modern-day parable. 
the kingdom of God then is like a radio station. Many of us wake up to a radio station in the morning, and the radio station is not there in my room. Thankfully, I have puppet shows to wake me up in the morning. <laughs> the radio station is not there in my room. It is far away, but its content, its broadcast is in my room all the time. It doesn't stop. It's always there. The broadcasts of the radio stations in this area are in this room right now. And we believe it too. We believe that they're here even though we don't see them. We've lived with radio broadcasts long enough. We know that they exist. And so it's here. It's all around me. It's fairly creepy actually to me. But it's between Alan and Tabitha right here. It's flowing right between them. It is here all the time. It's everywhere that we go. And a lot of times we just miss out because we are not able to receive it. So what do you have to have? You've got to have a radio to set up. Then you've got to take the cord on that radio and you have to plug it in. And then from there, you've got to turn the power on. After you turn the power on, if it's an old radio, you've got to tune in to the right station that you want. And once you've got all of that, then you can turn it up and everybody gets to hear it. I think this is what Jesus is wanting to do with us today. So when you take into account the idea of plugging in, I think plugging in is equal to us being born again. It's what happens when we say yes to Jesus. We are plugged in to what he wants to do. We're plugged into new life in him. His spirit comes and lives inside of us. We are transformed. He comes and lives inside of us, and we are born again. But it doesn't just stop there. When you talk about turning the power on, yeah, you're plugged in. That's great. But you've got to then turn the power on. There's got to be something that allows the process to begin more. And so that is, I think, what we're talking about here, seeking God. Turning the power on is equal to seeking God. But then there's a step further. From there you go to tuning in. Now, some of you are too young to remember. I wish that I was this, but I'm not. I remember the days where you had to actually take the dial and you had to not just push a button, but you had to turn the dial, turn the knob to actually tune the station in. Anybody remember that? Uh, good for you. Uh, today you just get to push the button and boom, it's right there. It's much more convenient. But I remember having to tune it in, and so sometimes it wasn't quite clear enough, and it would be fuzzy, and, and you'd hear, and so today, so you tune in to get to where you wanted to go, and finally you'd get it just crisp, just clear enough, but it took a little bit of a process, and I think that tuning in is equal to us learning to hear his voice. Hearing his voice, which we're going to talk about over the next several weeks and talk about the free weekend. you got to come. you got to be part of this. You start to hear his voice. You start to recognize his voice over your own. You start to hear his voice above all the other noises in our lives. 
And then once, once you start to understand, you start to hear more. Then you get to the final thing, which is you can then turn it up. Turn the volume up so that now it's not just you. It's not just you receiving all of the airwaves. It's not just you receiving the benefit, but everybody around starts to be able to hear the message as well. As it starts to broadcast from your life, the truth, the freedom, the love, the life, the righteousness, the peace, the joy, all of those things that are part of his kingdom that are at hand that you have access to right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I think turning up is equal to learning to do what he says. So the simple idea for us today is to repent. To change your reality the way that you perceive the life that you're living so that you can live in his life, in the kingdom of God, right here, right now. Now, would you take just a moment and let him speak to you? What is your answer to the question? What's your answer to the question? What does it mean to seek first his kingdom? Do you actually believe that you have this access? Do you actually believe that you live in the midst of this? Do you actually believe that freedom is available to you by his spirit and through him? Do you really believe that by your surrender, you get to participate in his kingship? You do. Today, many of us just need a, uh, we need to have that reality come alive in us. We need to become wide awake to what's happening around us. We haven't been plugged in. The power hasn't been on. And today you can say yes to Jesus. He loves you so much that he came and gave his all on the cross for you. So we celebrated in communion earlier. His great love drove him to pay the price for every bit of sin and wrongdoing that we have done. And today he's inviting you to come and to live in his kingdom with him. But you have to remember that he is the king. He loves you and he wants to watch over you. He wants to protect you. He wants to give you his best. But he is the king. And so he does ask for surrender. 
And today I think there are those of us in the room that maybe <clears throat> once again we just need to surrender. Or maybe for the first time we just need to say yes and surrender. Is that you? Is he speaking to you right now about that? What's he saying to you? If that's you, I want to invite you just quickly to respond. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you do anything. But I'd like to pray a prayer for you and with you. So I'm going to ask if that's you. You want to repent. You want your perception of this reality to be made different. You want to know about this kingdom of God, and you want to live in it. You want to surrender to it and surrender to him. Would you just shoot your hand up in the air right now? Do it right now. Great. Who else? Yes. Who else? Yes. Great decision. Who else? Anybody else? Yeah, okay. Way back there. Awesome. Good for you. Greatest decision you could ever make. Now, whether you lifted your hand or not, I want to have all of us pray this prayer together. Everybody, just from your own heart, in your own way, and those of you who raised your hand, from deep down in your gut, just pray this prayer in words like this with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that today that you would help us to repent, that you would draw us by your kindness to repentance. Help us, help me now to turn away from my old life and to lean into a new life lived with you, by you, for you. Forgive me of my sins as I confess all of them. Forgive me for doing my own thing. Forgive me for my own rebellion. Wash me clean and make me new. Be the Lord of my life and the Savior of my soul. Be my king today. And let me live in your kingdom. Thank you for what you're doing.